Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. I think he's normally on my left, but today he's on my right. This is Mr. Philippe Hammer in my co-host. Hello everyone, how are you guys doing? It's all good, we're, we're here, we're in Felipe's place. If you can hear any music and crowds behind us, it's because we're in the hustle and bustle of Soho. We are literally living a 60s London musician's dream. This is this guy's flat. He lives above the venue. He plays in three times a week. <laughs> exactly. So he's got the shortest commute in the world. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually redefined the concept of a house drummer. <laughs> I'm literally the house drummer. I go downstairs and play. You know when they say there's a house band and the house drummer is the guy from that band? I'm the house drummer because I live at the venue. You're the house drummer of the whole venue. Of the whole venue, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Excellent. And for for those who like Oasis, uh, this building is in the cover of uh, What's the Story, Morning Glory. It is. You can see his window from the front cover. You can see me waving at the window. No, I wasn't there. (laughs) You got a time machine, yeah. Um, Ben, if you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, the, the, we blocked it out for light purposes, but the window behind it looks out onto where the shrunk cover was shot, so really cool stuff, and yeah, we've done the, the volume test, you know, our voices are loud enough, but we thought we'd keep the window open, A, because it's hot, and B, because you just can't be the, a crowded Soho, couldn't you? No, it's where it's everyone part wants of the to be process, on a yeah. Saturday. We might hear anything from drunk people to Hare Krishna singing. Or a car horn. Or a car horn. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Love it. Anyway, well, today we are back and we are doing, um, we are focusing on a band today, and that band is called The Band. Um, Felipe, you wanted, you, you were the one who suggested we do this band. Which well, band? The band. We- the ba- which band? A, a-, a band, any band? <laughs> the band. <laughs> yeah. So I suggested the band. Actually, let me get the show started properly. As usual. Today's there show is go. sponsored by Strong Gold. As usual, here's my water. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Let so, the show begin. Why the band? Um, I was actually introduced to the band uh, by you, Lars. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I knew them. I knew of them. You know, I, I've... Um, first thing I actually saw of the band was that they were playing with Roger Waters at the Berlin uh, concert, yeah. The Wall of 1990. Um, and for me, it was just one more band in the event. I, I've heard of them. Oh, yeah, they used to play with Bob Dylan. And that was it. Yeah, yeah. The only <laughs> thing I knew about the band, they're the good band, they do vocal harmonies, and they used to be Bob Dylan's backing band. Uh, well, that's enough information. Yeah, we'll that is, that. that's we'll enough that. for you to kind of think to consider how how yeah. good those guys are. But then you started talking about how they mixed so many uh, uh, um, like early rock and roll influences and jazz and country and and, mm. and I was like, really? I mean, I never heard their albums, you know. Yeah. So I started listening to uh, music from the Big Pink mm-hmm. and and the band, the band, which I have in vinyl. Um, do you? Yeah. I oh, it's well. downstairs. Oh, well? yeah. Got Isn't it, it just great? Christmas. Oh, but we'll brilliant. get there in the timeline. Yeah. First of all, though, I want to tell the story because I have a person to thank for introducing me to the band, and that's my stepbrother Tarek, who you've met oh, plenty yeah. of times. And I just got to set the scene because this was one of the. You know, you have those moments in your life, and it's, I feel like they probably mean a bit more to us as musicians because we've been exposed to so much music that when something special hits, it's like wow, okay, I've spent the last two years learning songs by a hundred different artists, but this is what's hit me hardest. It was June, um, it was in the summer, I was at my brother Tarek's to watch a UFC event. And for those who watch or know UFC, it's mainly in America. So we're, we're often, uh, on, the, on the special nights, we're staying up till seven in the morning. The last fight always finishes at 6.30. Now, there was two more fights left of this particular card. Uh, it was must have been about four o'clock in the morning um and we were out of chicken wings which is a disaster <laughs> so we're I, I, i'm just trying to wonder how this relates to the band how are we going to get there so um we sat and we said what are we going to do like we can't there's two more fights like, we can't just not have anything to eat and tag said oh there's a there's a there's a shop up the road it's 24 hours we'll go there quickly before the next fight now, the next fight was two American fighters, one guy from California um, and another guy who is from, I'm not going to say he's from Arkansas, where some of the band are from, but he was from the deep south of America, where you can hear the band's music come yeah. from. And I, I don't know if he purposely did it, but on the drive there, because we were preparing for this all-American fight, Tarek put on the band. 
And he put on The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. As usual, guys, this will all be in the playlist uh, in the show notes. Uh, he put on The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down and King Harvest. And I was just sat there listening and marvelling at this music and this raw Americana music. Bearing in mind I'm preparing to watch two Americans fight and we're going to get some American-style chicken wings through Borum Wood. The sun was rising, and if you play that song, next time you see a sunset or the sun rises and you're up before the sunrise, play The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down and just tell me that you don't want to be American after listening to that. <laughs> For a minute, For least. a minute, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so I heard that. We went back and watched the fights. It was amazing. And then the next day on my drive home, I played that The Band album, which band, is also known as The Brown album. And I sort of fell in love. I spent a month listening to that album. Uh, didn't really... They were one of those bands where I didn't want the amazing experience to be ruined by a rubbish album. So I didn't yeah. branch out. But then we went on tour to Brazil. And I on the on the flight over, I said, Jack, you know, could, or we playing Jack Hutchinson. I said, do you know the band? And he goes, oh, my God, what have you listened to? And I said, the Brown yeah. album. He said, right. Music from Big Pink and The Last Waltz. Thank me later. And my whole tour of Brazil, when we were on the coach trips oh, going yeah. from city to city. I was too city, busy doing the business. You, he was organising the gigs. The gigs. Jack had his own music. I was listening to everything the band had done. And from that moment, actually even from the moment Tarek played them in the car, they've, they've become one of my top 10, 20, yeah, top 10 bands, I reckon, just because I love their music. I, I think uh, um, you you described really well the kind of feelings they, they bring to people and, that, yeah. and that's why they're so good because they're very very imagetic if I can put yeah. it like that so you listen to a song and you start picturing something in your head like you mm. know it takes you to the places you know uh, to the places yeah. where they probably wrote the songs whatever you, you th it makes you think about uh, um you know, a lifestyle or a location or something mm. is really cool, and they also great musicians. Which, which yeah. is, as I think, the band is one of those bands that once you find how good they are, you're like, how the fuck I missed uh, yeah. this for my whole life. You I know? see. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I think we maybe get to it later, but there, there have been openly Eric Clapton. Has cut so so there is about the Brown album. Don't worry, we will do a whole episode on the Brown album because it deserves it. But there is a classic albums episode where they focus on that album and they interview George Harris and Eric Clapton. And Eric Clapton comes out and says, "Yeah, no, I, I was desperate to be in the band. So like, I wanted really to wanted to be in the band. band, and I was always trying to get myself going to the sessions or trying to get myself an invitation." But he said, got "They're a tight knit group of guys, you know." Well, when you think about. Uh, um the fact that most people want to be in Eric Clapton's band. Yeah. He wanted to be with, yeah, the, with band, the band. Yeah. The band, the band. Excellent. Right, so we'll start off, I'll tell you who's in the band. Um, now, I, I wrote down the names and the instruments they play, but all of them play so many different things yeah. that I'm just going to tell you what they mainly do, right? Yeah. So we've got Levon Helm on drums, mandolin and vocals, Richard Manuel on piano and vocals, Rick Danko on bass and vocals, Robbie Robertson on guitar, and we'll call them backing vocals, and Garth Hudson on organ, accordion, keyboard, second piano, whatever. That's the band. Now, you are particularly taken by Levon Helm and Robbie Robertson. Did you want to talk about them? Yes, yeah, the, the reason why I want to talk about them is like, Robbie Robertson is interesting because he wasn't... He was the only one in the band who wasn't a singger. Let's yeah. put it like that. He mm -hmm. could sing back and forth with this and that. But... There are some claims that some of the live recordings, his vocals were appalling. Yeah. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, well, well I, I, ho I hope it's a lie. I like him. Um, uh, but basically, he wasn't, he wasn't, he never claimed to be a singer anyway, but he was the main songwriter, wasn't it? That is interesting. When they, at the end, when they split up, he, he was still making loads of money without performing because mm -hmm. he wrote most of the songs. So you have this guy who is not the voice of the band maybe not even the image of the band at that point and he is the main songwriter yeah. so he so you actually had that's really interesting you have so many good instrumentalists in the band but you still have a leader mm. which yeah. you would expect the band to be like okay everyone is really good so everyone is going to write together or whatever no everyone will do the arrangements together everyone will work on their part and, mm. and work together on how to make the groove sound tight enough but, but the idea comes the from... idea comes from one mind yeah. most of the time and Levon Helm 
uh, is such a unique character in, in, in music because how many drummers you know who are lead singers, right? You can you can name Phil Collins, you can name, uh, uh, you know, see, I can't even think of two. <laughs> yeah. you know, and he's a drummer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because <laughs> you think about, uh, you think about uh, Ro- uh, Roger Taylor, who's a fantastic singer, but not the lead singer. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, he had in the band, a few everyone. Songs, but he wasn't yeah, the lead singer, was he? Exactly. In the band, everyone was taking the lead at some point, but some of the classics, you know, were recorded with Levin Helm on yeah. vocals. And it, and his groove is so perfect, mm. and his vocals are spot on. And it's yeah. it's really rare. I think he used to be a guitar player before as well, but not never with the band, just yeah. playing drums and percussion and singing. Well, we'll start off um, in the early years telling you sort of how the band came together. Um, they met and they became a rock and roll band playing covers every night called The Hawks. And they developed... There was a few other people in the band before it became these five Ronnie guys. Hawkins and The Hawks. Because there was a guy called yeah, Ronnie Hawkins. but were they the Hawks before Ronnie? Or uh, no, I think because he because was of Hawkins. Hawkins and they were. I think you're right. So Levon Hell put together this band that could go and play anything rock and rolly that was sort of going about in the fifties, and we are talking late fifties, you know, fifty eight. They that band was then hired by Ronnie Hawkins, who was a rock and roll rockabilly yeah. singer, to back um, to back him. That's where the band came together. The five guys were the backing band for Ronnie Hawkins, and it became Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks. Um, now, after a few years, and we're talking about five years now of incessant touring, um, there is a quote from Ronnie Hawkins where he said, um, he, the, the issue, the reason that the band became the band is because Levon and Ronnie had made them such a tight unit, they became such a fantastic band that they just didn't want to keep doing covers for the rest of their lives. So then they said, that's when they broke off from Ronnie Hawkins and said, we want to write our own music. But um, when Ronnie Hawkins was talking about it, and when when the band was saying, we want to go and do our own stuff, Ronnie said, listen guys, I already told you, and he says this on the Last Waltz documentary, he says uh, something along the lines of, the pay's not great, but you're going to get more pussy than Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> and that paints the picture of South uh, South USA at that time, doesn't it? And it's funny because I never, when I first heard of the band, I never thought of them as the you know classic rock and rollers who would go about uh, uh, you know having sex with everyone and yeah. taking drugs and all that stuff. But they were. They were. They yeah, were really. Because they, they, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, maybe because the kind of music they play. It's it, we tend to think as softer as if compared to the other stuff we listen to, yeah. And it's like they were living the rock and roll lifestyle, yeah, to the Touring, limit, yeah, exactly. which didn't prove to be uh, really good in the long run, did yeah, it? Yeah, no. Well, like I said, they broke off from Ronnie Hawkins, um, and Rob, Rob, Robbie Robertson said about that break off. Ronnie shot himself in the foot, really, by sharpening us into such a crackerjack band that we had to go on out into the world. So they knew their potential. They knew what they had to offer the world of original music. They knew they couldn't just be someone's backing band. That's interesting. The the, the interesting thing about that is, uh, um, as far as I understand, um, Ronnie Hawkins was feeling like he didn't belong to the thing. It was his band, but it was such a tight unit. It was like, this is not my band. They are a band, and I'm yeah. I'm I'm the odd guy here. I'm, I, I, yeah. I shouldn't be. You're right. The, the thing that everyone talks about with the band is the camaraderie. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know what that word means, because I had to look it up yesterday, it oh, means come on, yeah, it means brother, <laughs> brotherhood, isn't it? Like a, a sense yeah. of brother camaraderie. Um, I, I didn't know that. No, oh, I didn't. I didn't. I've used get, it. But get your know, English together, mate. I didn't know the official <laughs> definition. Put it that way. Ah, sorry. Can I just say I'm wrong. It was Canada they were playing and touring. Oh, right. So now, now that I've read my notes, I know what happened. Levon was American. Yes. The others were Canadian. All of he them. went up. Yeah. Um, yeah, he went up, uh, joined them, toured with them. Ronnie was Canadian because as well, I think. Then after they broke off and became... Well, actually, they didn't become the band yet. They moved down to New York. Um, they kept playing as the Hawks, isn't it? They did. Without, a, yeah. <laughs> without Ronnie. Ah, actually, they, they became the Levon Helm Sextet because it was the band plus another guy. And then they became Levon and the Hawks. And they were actually due to be Sonny Boy Williamson's backing band. But a but month he died. After, he died. A month after agreeing this and getting things in place, he died. Can you imagine? imagine. And he was one of their heroes. Yeah, they were like, well, well, we're going to record with him. And then 
it didn't happen. But that that just proves how uh, um, how much people wanted to work with them. Everyone wanted them. As yeah, a band. exactly. Um, Which justifies the name, the band. the band. So because of that, and in keeping with what you're saying, uh, they were moved from Canada to New York by Bob Dylan's manager. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Bob Dylan was, or the Bob Dylan or his manager was in Canada looking for a backing band for Bob Dylan and someone who knew the band um, a friend of the band said you've got to check these guys out and they said go and check out Levon and the Hawks and so Bob Dylan's manager went and checked them out and he wanted them and Dylan wanted them and he moved them down to New York in 1965 um, and that's when they started their work with Bob Dylan So and that actually changed their careers like for, forever and the, the other playing thing, with one of the biggest artists and the other history. thing is that it changed Bob Dylan's career as well that's what's not spoken about pretty in his much, career yeah they're pretty much responsible for the you know uh, the electric sound of Bob yeah, Dylan isn't it exactly. so he wasn't one thing I have to say about that is like he wasn't a uh, very straightforward uh, partnership like easygoing kind of stuff like oh you just we're now playing with Bob Dylan you know we sort and everything's going to be great at first, they didn't feel very comfortable because they were used to play rock and roll, rockabilly, country, whatever. Yeah. They used to play what we could call dance music, mm-hmm. right? Because they were playing stuff that they knew it would please the audiences and people would dance to, and they knew they could play it really well. Yeah. So the band was like, okay, we're going to play all night. People are going to dance all night. That's it. We are successful. And they started playing for Bob Dylan. They got into his career in the middle of that big change yeah. when Bob Dylan was actually defying the whole like the the whole uh, uh, folk music uh, scene by just saying no I'm going to go electric now yeah. and oh the band is here with me and they were like okay we just got caught in the middle of the, 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 yeah. the crossfire now because uh, you were not expecting to be in that position you're like you're playing dance music entertaining people it's all easy going so you know uh, uh, for you it's in your comfort zone and then you are with a really really uh, uh, clever well known artist who wants you to be part of a big change and they exactly. were like can we do this yeah it's like and, it, it, and wasn't, it wasn't that simple for them they, no. they were like it was it was a really Tough struggle decision, yeah. that is when they became Bob Dylan and the band mm-hmm. uh, so that's when the, the, the phrase the band was first coined in terms yeah. of this in this respect um, as Felipe mentioned and alluded to what was so important about this relationship was that... Now, I don't want to say the band are responsible for this, because I'm not sure, to be honest, but in 65 was Bob Dylan's first electric songwriting, let's say. He started using electric instruments, and for many of those who know Bob Dylan, you know that primarily he started out as a folk guitar, uh, as a folk artist using mainly an acoustic guitar. You've all heard songs like Blowing in the Wind, Mr. Tambourine Man. Though That's what Bob Dylan's famous for, isn't it? The acoustic guitar and his folky songs and folky lyrics. Then the band came along, and he did this first electric tour with them. And there was one night, Manchester, England, where he was booed. And someone shouted at him, Judas. And he said something like, um, I can't, I don't want to quote it wrong, but something like, oh, go away, something like that. But it actually had a really negative effect, especially on Levon Helm, because he could not take being booed every night by audiences for trying new things. Yeah. And you, like you said, you've got to remember, he was used to making people happy two or three times a night, playing two, three different sets in different bars, giving the people what they want, music to dance to. So when they come and they join an original project, which is successful because it's Bob Dylan, but the feedback to this new material isn't good. Bob Dylan was trying a step into a direction that no one has ever been to. So you could be part of Bob Dylan's uh, uh, downfall. Downfall, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to join. And imagine the guy's been successful forever. When you become... A musician in his band, your part or, of it goes to and shit. that's it. It's like, is that the kind of reputation you want to yeah. build? Um, so Le- Levon actually left uh, to work on an oil rig in New Mexico, yeah. uh, no, in the Gulf of Mexico, um, because he just couldn't take it. He just wanted a normal job. Um, but anyway, oh. things kind of sorted themselves out. Um, Levon came back after Bob Dylan had a motorcycle accident um, because they went back to playing covers and sort of other gigs and working for other artists. Um, after Dylan's motorcycle accident, he took a break. Uh, they became the Hawks again and did some other shows. And then he invited them down to Woodstock, or up to Woodstock, depending where they were living. Uh, and that is where they first met, or first came to, the Big Pink. 
Now, the Big Pink is a house in... Uh, yeah, I, I wonder what is the Big Pink. I don't know what a it is. Bi- the Big Pink is a house in in New York, um, and it is it is just a pink house. <laughs> That's all it is. Music from um, the Big Pink. Now, what they did there is they recorded there, and there's a basement downstairs where they recorded loads of demos with Bob Dylan and amongst themselves as well. And Bob Dylan fans, you might know there is an album called The Basement Tapes. Uh, I think it came out in 1975, but those recordings were from the mid-60s. And this is Bob Dylan and the band jamming and writing demos at The Big Pink. Or at Big Pink, yeah. I've made the mistake of calling the album Music from the Big Pink. But it's Music from Big Pink, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, So, yeah, after that, they they sort of looked at changing their name and getting back into the original stuff. They, They liked the Honkies or the Crackers, but uh, those both have kind of... Honkies is a mid, mid mildly racist way to call white people, and mm. Crackers is as well. Oh, right. So the record label vetoed it and said no. So that's not, that's not <laughs> um, it, yeah. And since they were known as the band behind Dylan, they just went with the band, really. And so from 1968, Which the I band became a really, band. really clever name. The only thing I believe is wrong about that is, and you know my opinion on this, they missed the trick. They should have released a song <laughs> called The Song in an album. On an album called, called The Album. The album. <laughs> that's, you know, imagine... Being able to say, oh, have you heard the song? Which song? Which, which song? song? From the album, by the band. Which album? <laughs> yeah, the, the album. album. But by what band? By the band. What yeah. band? The song from <laughs> yeah. the album by the band. You can't say that because they did, They were not clever enough to do that. <laughs> they anyway. just on too many drugs. Yeah. But um, anyway, like we said, that is the inception of the band. Um, now, there are going to be two main albums we talk about with the band because there are two albums that sort of projected them into music stardom, if you like. Um, and the first one was released in July the 1st, 1968, and that is, as we've alluded to, music from Big Pink. So do you want to take us away? Tell uh, us your thoughts. Oh, I, well, the thing is, uh, it's, it's definitely the album that defines them as a band, isn't it? Because what you can hear in the whole album, uh, regardless of which song we're talking about, is how they make the instruments work for the melody which you gotta you gotta consider that they they used to do that for someone else it's a really hard job so you have a single songwriter who's not part of your band he's the guy hiring you to do a job so you gotta work as hard as possible as hard as you can to make sure you're gonna enhance his music. It's not your music. You're working for someone else's music. You want to make the melody sound better. You want to make the lyrics uh, uh, touch the, the listener. So yeah. the instruments are serving the melody and the lyrics. So they knew how to do that better than anyone else. Yeah. So why not doing that for your own songs? Exactly. You know I mean? And they actually recorded a Bob Dylan song in there. Anyway. Well, there's three tracks co-written by Bob Dylan uh, on there. That's track one, Tears of Rage. Track, uh, it's near the end of the album called Wheels on Fire, and the final track of the album, which is called I Shall Be Released, which is an epic. Oh, it's just gorgeous, isn't it? It was, um, the I think the the second song I've heard from them, I've I've heard The Weight first. Oh, yeah, and then this one, uh, so The Weight as well. We should just actually, the only thing I want to say quickly is Richard Manuel is probably in the in the in the country and Americana world. And in the broader muso world, for those who don't know, muso. How would you define the word muso? Like, uh, it's, it's like um, clever <laughs> instrumentation kind of stuff. So, so if you say you're, you're a muso, it's like it mus- you know a lot about music. You can probably play a few instruments. You're probably quite versed in music it's like history. An, an intellectual musician. Yeah, I suppose so. So <laughs> for the musos amongst uh, our listeners, whatever, whoever. Richard Manuel is probably one of the most underrated rock and roll singers in rock and roll. And I just wanted to, the reason I'm yeah. bringing this up now is because Tears of Rage, track one, and I Shall Be Released, final track of that album, they're both sung by him. Yeah, his voice is just so different on both of them. He has just such a different timbre and tone that you you can't tell that the guy singing track one and the fight and I shall be released to the same. I guy. shall be that that really like high pitched uh, like falsetto, falsetto almost yeah. But and and also it's just so smooth yeah for something that is you know like 
it just delivers the message yeah. really uh, yeah they were famous for playing Bob Dylan stuff better than Bob Dylan himself <laughs> as, yeah. as, you know. well I should, re- I should be released as an example I think that's just a, a fantastic song isn't it oh yeah if, if, if you Brilliant don't if you don't have time to listen to the band listen to that song yeah um, I'm there's just gonna... no way you're not going to like it yeah. oh no exactly such a beautiful uh, the other the, 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 the song that actually elevated them was The Weight which you already alluded yeah. to and that's because it was used in the movie Easy Rider uh, in when did that come out was that 1975 um, so uh, they, they gained a bit more success and fame through that because that song did really well because the movie did well and the vocal harmonies are just brilliant that, it, they that, are, is, yeah. that is a proper you know, vocal arrangement, and they, they, you know, they thought it through, isn't it? It's not like, oh, let's just sing some stuff in here. Exactly. It's really, really well done. And it's, exactly. And it's a beautiful, uh, uh, constructed uh, uh, structure as well. Mm. And it's, it just, that's the thing, I think they're good storytellers, just like Dylan was. Yes, absolutely. They're telling yeah. you a story, they're guiding you, they're leading you through the story, and they, they manage to keep your attention. I, I think... Listening to the band's music is just like watching a really good movie. You want to know where it's going to end. You want yeah. to know what's going to happen to the character. And yeah, and each song is a new, not a new scene, but a new section of the movie telling the same story. Yeah. Which is actually really interesting because one thing, I think we'll probably get down to this with the, with the Brown album because it's kind of more applicable mm-hmm. there. But they were Which the, is the second album, isn't it? The second the album. Band. They were the called embodiment... the band. Called the band. Yeah. They were the living embodiment of working class Americans. Uh, or not obviously they were Canadian, but the music yeah, yeah, they but... were playing is what mattered. Um, I only I'm just getting up the album on Spotify just to put a few songs in the playlist. Um, we've already said Tears of Rage, The Weight, Wheels on Fire, and I Shall Be Released. I want to just add in uh, Long Black Veil because it's a cover. It's an old country standard. Johnny Cash has covered it, and they do a lovely, lovely version of it with some fantastic harmonies on there. Uh, Richard Manuel's vocals on Lonesome Susie uh, you know, could, could bring you to tears. And my final favourite one is We Can Talk, which, performed by a different band, recorded with different instruments in a different studio, could be a pop hit. It's a fantastic song. So those are all going to be in the playlist. That's our um, sort of take. We'll wrap up on music from Big Pink. Um, we'll finish it with just a few quotes or, or yeah, um, what people had to say and do about it. Eric Clapton quit Cream because of this album. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I knew it wasn't he loved, the band, but he, yeah. was it that He loved the album's Roots Rock style. So this, this Americana, this country feel. Um, that He wanted to pursue it more, and he wanted to um, play music more of that style. Because Cream, as we, you guys know from episode 17, were blues rock with hints of jazz. Clapton was starting to take in this Americana and this country stuff that was going on, you know, across the pond. Um, and so he heard Big Big Pink and Quick Cream. So that's that's Clapton's reason. <laughs> um, George Harrison was said he was so impressed by the musicianship and the camaraderie. That's why I had to Google the definition of it. <laughs> um, and this is a quote directly from Roger Waters. Music from Big Pink is the second most influential album record in the history of rock and roll after Sgt. Pepper. It affected Pink Floyd deeply, deeply, deeply. Wow. That's three deeplys. <laughs> well, you can hear, yeah, you can hear Pink Floyd's attempts to groove. Like yeah. That. They found their own way of doing it. It's not like the band. But I think that's a very good point, yeah, because obviously before, before 68, Pink Floyd was very... Should we say progressive, experimental, yeah. avant-garde? Yeah. Very loose. Very loose. Whereas, they were looking for a groove. Can you imagine? Time. Yeah. Right? So I, you kind of just imagine that Roger Waters has gone away and listened to Big Pink and thought, let's apply some of that groove, some of that raw heart and emotion into our music. Yeah. It's great, isn't it? There you go. Excellent. I mean, they influence um, everyone. Yeah. Now, this will also sort of apply to the second album, as I've said before, but what we need to talk about is what, the band, and in particular, these two albums have done for music because it's very, very important. Essentially, the band have created a new genre or did create a new genre, and we can label that. It's got two labels. Yeah. You could call it Roots Rock or you could call it Americana. Now, here's what I've done as, as, a, as a definition That's a of Americana. To be it's the, huge. The creators of Americana. It's huge. Right? Here's what I've, I've sort of cross-referenced a few articles, and this is what generally the consensus of what Americana music is. Folk, gospel, 
blues, jazz, R&B, rock and roll and bluegrass all put together. Obviously not every song is going to have elements of all of those, but in an album like Big Pink, you can hear every one of those genres somewhere mixed with another one. Musical freedom again, isn't it? Rock and roll is musical freedom. Um, and there is, oh, talking about that, there's a fantastic Levon Helm quote. Um, we'll put the YouTube link in the show notes so you guys can watch it because it's just so fantastic watching him speak. I will do my best to replicate the quote. He's so, oh, I should say it now. Yeah. The Last Waltz is a, is, a, is a movie they filmed of a concert and it was directed by the famous Martin Scorsese. Now, this is when Scorsese was very young. So this was one of his first projects. Scorsese's interviewing him about their music, uh, Levon Helm. And Levon Helm says, um, uh, I'm going to try and do a South American uh, accent. <laughs> he goes, what you going to do? You got to take, you, you, you got bits of gospel? From, and again, I'm just making up where gospels come from for the sake of the quote. You got your gospel down from Texas way. You got your R&B down from Mississippi. Your folk and your blues come from down uh, ten, uh, Tennessee. Uh, and you mix it all together, and it just grooves. And Scorsese says, and what do you call it? Levon Helm looks at the camera, smiles, and says, rock and roll. Yeah, because there's what it is, isn't it? Because you, isn't that people true, though? Claim, oh, they're not a rock band, right? No, yeah. Uh, that's one, one interesting thing about doing the podcast, like, because we're bringing things into the big umbrella of rock and yeah, roll. Yeah, yeah. So this is rock and roll, because you've got the attitude, the... Uh, musicality whatever you want to eat it's really hard to define exactly what it yeah. is but it, some people would say they, oh they're a folk band yeah no, oh, some but they're would, not yeah. entirely folk no they've changed folk music are they not entirely um, Americana yeah. or whatever that is because it's they were kind of creating it yeah but if you just label them as a rock and roll band it just fits it encompasses a lot doesn't it yeah, yeah. and it's it, 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 and it gives you the freedom to do whatever you want to do if you call yourself a rock band you know exactly um, so yeah so just we thought we'd mention that because the next album so well, yeah we'll go on 1969 um, they went on tour and they did their first ever show at the Winterland Ballroom uh, they performed at Woodstock that summer and they went to the Isle of Wight Festival with Bob Dylan at the end of 69 uh, then came the Brown album which is their probably their most famous album um, September 22nd 1969 and I, I've done a lot of listening to this album as have you and one of the first, one of the things I didn't know the critics were generally talking about it, was that it's actually considered a concept album focusing on people, places, and traditions of America. Oh, there you go. Talking about the fact that they take you to places. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But it is, I mean, the album was preserved into the National, uh, what's it called, the National Recording Registry because, and this is a quote from them, it was culturally, historically, or aesthetically important and or informs or reflects life in the United States. For example, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down is about the Civil War, uh, and King Harvest is about the union, uni, unionization of farm workers. So, like I said a few minutes ago, they're the living embodiment of the working class people of America yeah, at that time. And they're talking about, you know, uh, uh, a, like real life situations. Yeah, culturally like, yeah. historic and important events. And common people could relate to it, to what they're talking about. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like, uh, um, we're talking about being muses. That's an interesting thing. They were muses. Yeah, right? yeah. Especially, Which is yeah. people who can play clever stuff musically, people who have a deep knowledge of music in general and different yeah. genres. And they, they had the techniques, they had the information, they had everything to be uh, intellectual musicians. Yeah. And maybe they could be playing really complicated stuff for a, a small niche. That's a really good point. But, but they were like, no, no, yeah. I want to talk to the common man. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Just something you reminded me of that. Garth Hudson, the uh, organ player accordionist, he is about 10 years older than the rest of them. And uh, it's just a funny little story I remember reading. When he was asked to join the band, he said, that's fine, I'll join, but I need $10 from each of you every month. And they said, what do you mean, why? He said, well, my parents sent me to music school and they think I'm a jazz teacher. 
So if you guys pay me, it looks like I'm a teacher and I'm going to give you lessons. And he did. He taught them jazz and he got paid to teach the rest of the band jazz. So you have, you have a teacher. Yeah. But I, I just liked it. So I just liked so that he was like, I can't tell my parents I'm in a rock and roll band. And he was the oldest guy. Yeah, and he was the oldest guy. I've got to pretend I'm a jazz teacher. So just give me some money so I can pay my rent to my parents, you know, whatever. He's, he's probably the first ever jazz touring teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But here's interesting thing about that because they had, uh, that's one, thing, uh, one of the things I like the most. Uh, they had piano and organ instead of mm. having one guy yeah. like going from one thing to another one guy as the main keyboard player in the band and he does you know yeah. lots of you know he does all the keyboard related yeah. stuff you have one guy who's a specialist in piano playing and the other guy is an organ player and yeah that comes just, through I, it just blends together so well a song on music from Big Pink called Chest Fever is essentially there's a keyboard solo at the start by, by Garth Hudson and another fantastic example of what you've said and the distinction between an organ slash keyboard and a piano is um, the album is called before the flood and it's bob dylan and the band and it's a live album and they do it ain't me babe which is a folks country standard but bob dylan's famous for doing it um and there's a fantastic during the second verse when bob dylan's singing the second verse garth is just doing some lovely little um melodies on the organ whilst richard is hammering away at the piano and they're the same instrument at the, at, at, the um, at, at, at heart, they're the same instrument, yeah, yeah. but they're both doing different jobs, just like you said. And for me, it just, because it's, it's the way you approach it. Yeah, for me, it's like if you play acoustic guitar, and you, and that's your main instrument, and then you pick the electric guitar, you're going to phrase it in a different way. It's not, it's not exactly the same instrument. Yeah. The notes are the same. You know, the strings are mm. technically the same, but. It is a complete different instrument in many ways. Yeah. So I think organ and keyboards, it does it does have the same uh, the same contrast. And mm. to have one guy for piano and one guy for organ, it's like, yeah. you know, it's like the electric and the acoustic uh, with a specialist for each of them. So. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, just finishing up on the Brown album, um, just so you guys know how important and how highly rated it is. Rolling Stone, the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time article, put this album at number 45. Uh, Robert Christgau, the um, the music journalist and uh, reviewer, he rated this album better than Abbey Road, which came out four days later. Uh, he had to justify why Abbey Road was his second best album of 69. And he said, well, the band released the Brown album. So that's what Chris Gow thinks of it. Um, I would genuinely love to put every song from this album into the playlist because it is a 10 out of 10 album. I'll put, put my favourites. Sorry? Put the album on the playlist. Can it do it? There you go. Yeah, he, he, yeah that's it. He yeah. told me to, so I'll do it. But just so you guys know what my favourites are, Cross the Great Divide, um, Rocking Chair. You know that one, don't you? It's just, I think Levon Helm's on mandolin for that one and they're not all on their normal instruments. It, you get the impression of three guys standing around the mandolin singing together and they're talking about going back home to sitting on the rocking chair on their front porch meeting their friends and it just, I get goosebumps talking about it because you can genuinely tell all three of those guys are singing from the heart and the harmonies in that song are just fantastic and I think each of them sing a verse yeah but you almost can't tell, despite the fact that Levon Helm, Rick Danko and Richard Manuel have three different voices. During that song, they come together as one and the harmonies are just so emotional. Like I just said, I get goosebumps because it's just one of those songs that pulls on your... I want to know what it's like to be a retired American sitting on my porch, <laughs> singing on the rocking chair, looking at my family, you know, chewing my tobacco, sipping yeah. my moonshine. Yeah, you know, that's that it. But even, even though if you're not from that specific culture, you can relate to that. And yeah. You can think about yeah. the future. What it means they, to you, exactly. One day you're going to retire, look, you know, look at your family and think, oh, I've done this and it's, it's really cool. Yeah, you know, excellent. Uh, well... What we're not going to do is spend much time on more albums after this because those two are what are what introduced the band to the world of music. After that, their fame went to another level. Check this out: they were in 1970. They were featured on the cover of Time magazine. They were only they were the first rock band after the Beatles to do that. That's that's big. That's huge, man. And they have that's they were huge. strong like. Uh, 
personalities and, and people knew their faces, right? Yeah. I, I tend to think of the band as something that musicians like and the general public knows the songs but they don't know their faces. Yeah. But it wasn't true at the time. No, no. They were famous faces, everyone knew them. But they had a quite, yeah, uh, they had a bit of a fall from grace really, but we'll get to that later on. Um, so 1970, they released the album Stage Fright, which... The critical reaction was good, and it is a good album. There's a few good songs on there. Um, but compared to the previous two, nothing stands up, and that's not the band's fault, is it? Because the first two albums were just so good that the, the third one just didn't match up, really. Um, my, I'll put some songs in the playlist. Um, the Shape I'm In's Lovely, W.S. Walcott Medicine Show, Daniel and the Sacred Harp. Um, yeah, that's it for that album. I mean... I think anything by the band is worth listening to because throughout the whole time that those five guys were together, you are seriously getting that camaraderie and that sense of a brotherhood within a musical group. Yeah, and it's it's not an easy thing to achieve. Yeah. Um, later on in 1970, so only two years after they'd been together, um, Robertson, Robbie Robertson, started exerting much greater control over the band. Um in terms of taking over decisions, the songwriting, and it really affected the relationship between him and Levon Helm. Considering Levon Helm essentially was, he put was the band the together, leader. exactly, yeah. Um, but I don't want to. So this is stuff that we none of us, not even the people who are experts on the band, know about. It's only these five guys that know. the The talk is that Levon Helm and the rest of the band, except Robbie really got into taking a lot of LSD and drinking a lot of alcohol and taking a lot of drugs. So Robbie Robertson said that he felt he had to take over because things... I don't want to say standards were slipping, but... They would lose people, control. Yeah, things like that, you know. So, um, 1971, you have the Cahoots album. Uh, and most importantly, Rock of Ages, which is a live double album, which I've got on vinyl, which is just fantastic. They've established their sound, but they didn't stop there. For the Rock of Ages album, they introduced a horn section. And all of these songs that are in the playlist, they played live with a horn section. Just so they're still that. innovating, isn't it? That's the still same. innovating, yeah. still trying to find different ways to put their message through to an audience that has already seen and heard them. Uh, Bob Dylan also joined them for four songs on that one. So right. isn't that great? You can just say, come on, Bob, let's do a few together. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> um, so between 1973 and 1975... Um, they released an album full of covers called Moondog Matinee. They do a fantastic uh, instrumental cover of the theme from The Third Man. So do you know that movie? Um, the, the soundtrack by Anton Karras. Um, I will put that in the playlist. They then backed Bob Dylan again. They played on his album Planet Waves, um, uh, becoming the backing band, really. Uh, that was 1974. Then they did the album Before the Flood, which was a Bob Dylan live album, which the band backed and played as his backing band um, then the album Northern Lights Southern Cross which all songs were written by Robertson that's the first album where they were all that done by him like, totally yeah. and it showed because poor record sales um, well actually it was favoured by the critics but in terms of the band's fans which matter most they didn't like it they wanted all of them to have been working together I think um, and from that really I mean from there, unfortunately, the band goes downhill because Robbie Robertson got tired of touring and wanted to end things. So he worked with Martin Scorsese to put this project together called The Last Waltz, which was their last waltz. It was their last time playing together, all five of them, on a stage, and they were joined by a plethora of guests. We watched it. Do you remember when we were recording Jack's latest albums? We they, made it stay yes, in Devon. They had... Muddy Waters. That's right. Yeah, um, New Young, Eric Clapton. Yeah, Joni Mitchell, Ringo Starr, Ronnie Wood, Neil Diamond, Van Morrison, uh, and Ronnie Hawkins came back as well. Oh, yeah. imagine having all those guys wanting to be a part of your last gig. Like, Incredible, isn't it? Imagine them finding time on their calendars, like cancelling gigs or whatever, yeah. to be there with the band. But like, that just shows these guys wanted to play with them. Clapton's wish came true. Yeah, he got he to play with, with the, the band. band. Yeah, there fantastic. you go. So think about it. Think about uh, that show for me is uh, um, although it wasn't actually their last show. They no, they, they got together for another one yeah, for yeah. Uh, rock and roll. But even though that show in itself, if you if you have time to just watch one concert by the band, that's the one. Yeah, because you 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 can see how much influence they had over everyone. Yeah, and um, you see all those guys there paying a tribute to them and yeah. performing with them. 
fantastic gig. Maybe they were not even playing at their best, but does it we'll put We'll put the songs from the last waltz on the playlist as well, because it's just worth hearing. And then all together at the end, all of those guests I mentioned, plus the band, plus Bob Dylan, come and do I Shall Be Released. And everyone is fucked on cocaine and drunk <laughs> and high so it doesn't the vocals don't sound good but what matters is all these people have come that's, together to celebrate the music of the band and that's rock and roll and that's rock and roll um, I honestly think that's a good place to leave it because there, there is more history to the band I'll sort I'll well, just you know I think that's that's where the band peaked and that's where unfortunately the band as those five guys ended I, I, I really wish this this episode can get to people who never heard of the band. Mm, yeah, if anything, we just hope that we're telling you a bit about yeah, the new because, band. Because I'm so lucky. I've been told by you to listen to the band. Yeah, but I wouldn't know about them without my brother. So it's like, it's this pass on. So I mean, the, that's proper are, word of mouth. Well, my brother, he's got very good music taste. Um, there's a lot of stuff he likes that I wouldn't listen to, but there's a lot of stuff he likes that I do listen to. So what I'm saying is he's well-versed in music. We're musicians, we've trained, we've learned, we've played hundreds of songs by hundreds of artists, and yet us two didn't know about the band. Yeah. And I only, I think Tarek only found out about the band through a friend of his. So they really are this kind of cult band. It's, it's where word, it's of, word mouth, of mouth, yeah, exactly. And still, they're big. And th- yeah. th- th- that actually shows why they were usually praised by the critics first. Yeah. And the press, and then... Yours, because yeah, people who actually point. knew a lot about music and did their research, like the band is great, and then they would have to tell people, listen to those guys, they're great. That's why some of the albums, I think even, I might be wrong on this, but I think music from Big Pink took a while to start selling really well. I think so. Yeah, because you know, the critics started talking about it, and then people started talking, and then word of mouth or whatever, and yeah. then people got into it. Uh, and that, you know, but it is what it is. It's like a really good movie that is not a blockbuster, but yeah. You heard of it and you want to, you want to check it out. Exactly. Um, so we will end it there. We'll, we'll finish up there. I will just summarise a few other little moments in the band's career from that point. Um, they toured without Robbie Robertson um, from 83 because he'd gone on to do some solo stuff. He was a producer in New York, actually. Yeah. Uh, because of that, there and because of the non-success of their albums after uh, Stage Fright... They they ha- they were going from playing arenas and just to small theatres really, um, so it's a shame. You know they were looked up to by bands like Grateful Dead, and then in the eighties they were supporting Grateful Dead. So it's, it's a bit of a shame that we have to sort of tell you this because we'd love to tell you that they just well, toured arenas for the rest of their lives, but, but it's, it doesn't quite happen. It happens. Isn't it? This is real stones, life. Yeah, this is real life. Don't make it. Uh, in 1986, very tragically, Richard Manuel hanged himself after a show, um, aged 42, because he had serious problems with alcohol and drug addiction. They were doing two nights in a Florida um, hotel, I believe, and he, he killed himself, unfortunately. That that really did mark the beginning of the end, because then after that, uh, certain band members, I think, I think maybe Rick Danko left, and then they had to hire in other guys. And from then on, the band really just wasn't the band. Um, They were inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame in 89. Uh, In 78, they they all came together to play at Rick Danko's solo gig uh, as an encore. Um, Garth Hudson, Robbie Robertson and Rick Danko got together for for the band's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but Levon Helm wasn't there. A quick note on Helm and Robertson. There is fallout between them because, from what we know, Robertson bought the rights to all of their music, uh, to all of their credits, because they weren't touring, or they were touring, but the money wasn't good, so they were happy to sell their rights. Robertson bought them all, and that meant that meant he could do whatever he wanted with the songs. And so he became more than a leader, the dictator of what would happen with their music. And Levon Helm said the selling of the songs wasn't done fairly, and for years until his death, there was this back and forth between Robertson and Helm. Um, December 10th, 1999, Rick Danko dies in his sleep, aged 56. Uh, 2012, April 17, Levon Helm dies. So we just left with Garth Hudson and Robbie Robertson now. Um, so it is a real shame to hear about things like the argument, Richard Manuel killing himself. Rick Danko got really fat, and I think he had a heart attack. I think he ate himself to death. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's a shame to sort of end this episode where we've been so happy about the music that they've produced and the, the feelings... You know, I go back to the car journey, 4am UFC. 
That was such a special but moment for me. the music outlives the artist. It does, it does. And but it we're is. just here trying to present to you guys the history and what you need to know about a band. A band? Say the band. Which, which band? Which band? The band. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that's why I felt it was important well, to mention those things. we have a segment? Do we have a segment? Yes. Did I, oh, I, I went past it. Oh. We do, we do. Oh, we have a segment. We are. So, so we're going to finish, that's all right, we're going to finish the episode off with one of our segments. Uh, and the segment is... How rock and roll is that? So, as you know, we are rating um, statements and um, acts done in the name of music from zero to a hundred. We've already done a highway style. We did another one on the Cream episode, I think, about jamming at loud volumes, wasn't it? So, Felipe, on a scale from zero to a hundred... I want to know how rock and roll you think it is to name yourself the band. It's definitely very rock and roll, isn't it? It's like it's like, it's like, it's like directing a film and calling it the movie. <laughs> it's like opening a restaurant and calling it's, it the food. Oh yeah. I do have to say, like, it does cause some confusion, right? So that's why I think like oh, That's yeah, true, because you Google the band, the band and they won't like, be the first thing that band? comes no, up. Of course yeah. they would be yeah, so well they would not predicting Google yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I forgot uh, that we're not worried about that oh how about Google search yeah. in the future uh, but uh, I, I do like to say the negative side of it for me is like the band it's almost generic you know but it's not a band it's the band which yeah. is very pretentious because it's pretentious I'll give it a um 68 out of 100. Fantastic. 68 out of 100 on how rock and roll is. 68. 68 out of 100, calling yourselves the band. Um, one thing, that we'll, we'll, we really will end on this. There is a tribute band to the band in America who have called themselves, ready for this? <laughs> the, the band band. <laughs> the, the band band. So it's meant to say, we are the, the band band. <laughs> But on the posters, it's just the, the, band, band. That's just... Amazing. That's rock brilliant. And roll. Yeah, that's rock and roll. To sum it up, um, the band created a new genre, that they yeah. were responsible for the for the innovation and the creation of Americana, and they did that by taking all of their influences, rockabilly, rock and roll, R&B, gospel, jazz, from their teacher, Garth Hudson, uh, <laughs> a blues, and mixing it all together. They played a big role in electrifying folk music and yeah. changing the history of the, the genre and yeah. they were as good as uh, Bob Dylan's back band or anyone's back band as they were as songwriters uh, you know that's a fantastic uh, point to end on they, they didn't they didn't they didn't their quality wasn't diminished when they went and did their own stuff it was actually no. enhanced wasn't it yes or, or as good as not, yeah. not many musicians can do that to be uh, good backing musicians for an artist yeah. and being the artist that's yeah. a good point anyway guys thank you very much for tuning into another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast we hope you've enjoyed this as usual the playlist will be at the bottom of the show notes and I'll put the link to that rock and roll Levon Helm quote because I really didn't do it justice so go and check it out I'm shortening our where to find us because this guy's told me to say one thing you can find us on the internet find us on the internet so that's all you yes. know what to do but anyway guys thank you very much for joining us and tune in again next time please and yeah uh, keep on rocking everyone and as usual long live rock and roll